Hey, it's Tim here. Thanks so much for coming over to check out my new podcast, The Big Mouth. Before we get into today's episode, got a big favor to ask you. It's going to mean the world to me if you leave a star rating, you comment on the episode or share it with your friends. It'll help me out and help get The Big Mouth out there. Hope you enjoy today's episode. If you've ever had a pet that you love or if you've ever lost a pet, then this episode is for you because today we're exploring pet loss. If you feel like a misfit in a world full of pretenders, then I want to be your friend. Join me each week on the journey of not giving a fuck. So stop trying to fit in and stand out. You don't need to be perfect, you just need to get real. This is The Big Mouth with Tim Dormer. Subscribe now for free to make sure you don't miss out on an episode. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f? Are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 upfront for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Now with nearly two thirds of Australian households having pets, that's nearly 30 million pets in total. It puts Australia as having one of the highest pet ownership rates in the world. And the pet industry is big business too, with over $13 billion being spent for our loved ones. It's no surprise that we do love them a lot and we'd do anything to keep them happy. To most pet owners, it's not ownership at all because pets are part of our family. They are our best friends. For some people, they make better lovers than a spouse ever could. But for everyone, we like to spoil them like our children which is why it's so hard when it's time to say goodbye to our beloved pets. To anyone who has ever experienced pet loss, I understand it's truly heartbreaking, which can take you through the depths of depression, wondering how you're going to feel the hole that they left in your life. And just like losing a human loved one, the process of pet grief is a delicate, sacred ritual which we all go through in our own terms and timing. You're not alone. Recently, I met someone who spends her life guiding and counselling pet owners through loss and grief. It's my pleasure to introduce her. Hello and welcome, Fiona, and thanks for joining me. Hi, it's absolutely my pleasure. First up, tell me, what do you do? What's your job title? I guess I'm a grief counsellor. I started off as a general counsellor and then um, found myself in this niche of pet grief and loss. So basically, I speak to people Uh, who have lost their pets and would like some support through that. What made you get into pet grief counselling specifically? It's kind of funny how it happens. You know, you just kind of stumble into this stuff. But um, I used to work in a vet hospital when I was like in my early 20s. I thought I wanted to be a vet nurse and like I loved every single second of it. Um, And, you know, we would have, you know, the euthanasias and we would have these big crises, you know, like a huge accident happen and things like that. And I found myself a bit more drawn to supporting the families in that space. 
and I, you know, I'm making it sound like this is a very like conscious step, step, step decision, but it's only on reflection. I can kind of see how this grew. Um, so I left there and uh, went to study psychology and then uh, left, well, I finished my psychology degree and became a counsellor. You know, pets have always been a huge part of my life. Um, I lost my own cat when um, I was studying to be a counsellor and it was like earth shattering, <laughs> mm. to put it lightly. <laughs> and, How old was um, your cat and what, were, what was its name? His name was Artemis and he yeah. was, I would say he was about four years old. Yeah. And um, we had to make the decision to put him down. And, you know, I, I speak to clients a lot about this, about like I would have been, I don't know, 25 or something like that. And it was like this first huge decision that I had to make to end something's life that I loved so deeply. And I couldn't rely on anybody else but me to make that decision. And it was really, really hard. Um, so I actually ended up aligning kind of with, I, I stumbled into this, a um, a company that does pet cremations in Sydney. They needed a grief counsellor that they refer people on to. And that's how I got into it. It's like fit like a glove. I just absolutely love it. I have such a strong belief that this is a real reason to grieve. I fully, fully believe that in to my core. And um, it makes me so happy to be able to share that belief with people because they come thinking like, why am I so sad? What's going on? And to tell them you're not crazy, you're not. <laughs> this yeah. is a real reason to be this sad. Yeah, and I guess when you're in that situation, you just want someone to go, it's okay, like validate yeah. that experience that don't minimise what's happening right now, like feel it, feel all these feelings because it's real, it's happening and it meant something. Completely. And, you know, I, <laughs> I've i been using this analogy with people a little bit lately. Um, I'm not much of a monarchist but... um. You know, when the queen dies, they have yeah. this like um, mandatory grieving period over in the UK where like yes. the BBC can't show comedy for like a certain amount of time. And I tell people, I'm like, these beings, and I love what you said um, about not ownership, that it's like, mm. we, you know, we it, sometimes we hardly own these pets. They just kind of like exist with us. But they hold such a monumental part of our lives that it's almost like we need to have these mandatory grieving periods and we really have to advocate for ourselves to have that because humans get funerals and people mm. send flowers and none of that happens none of that happens when it comes to losing your best friend that is with you 24 hours a day yeah absolutely like i said some people they are the best friend or they're the spouse even like it's a it's a love a deeper kind of connection than you have with your human companions, I guess, in a way a, a pet won't let you down. Like a human will will hurt you, will betray you at some point in life, <laughs> yeah. but a pet is so loyal. Much less complicated, the relationship. <laughs> yeah. You, know? you were saying that um, the pet cremation service um, would refer people on. How many pet owners who are going through grief do you think would take up pet counselling is it is there a it's hard to tell I'm not too sure I, I I haven't really gone to them about like the metrics of what comes through mm. but it's a lot a lot of the time I speak to them in like that real um I kind of like refer to it as like the blast zone like it's just happened yeah. and they're they're like I've been crying for three weeks and I can't stop and they think they're going nuts but they're not actually I don't know because I believe with grief of course 
there is the loss of, of your pet or the loss of whatever, but there is so much more that that encapsulates. There's so much more inside of you that gets pulled up. And I guess that's one of the reasons why I love grief so much is because I also really believe that grief is our biggest teacher that teaches us so many things about it's such a catalyst for change, don't you think? Oh, yeah. It's a real transformation in life. I was going to say, in my last year, I've experienced a lot of grief. Like I had a human friend that passed away and my two dogs have passed away. And and I say, grief has taught me so much and I have such a different relationship with grief now. I think what I thought it was was something that you wanted to get past, that it was a bad negative oh, feeling, yeah. that sad equaled bad. But through it all, there was some beauty, I guess, that comes yes. through death. And it's almost sacred that you, you can't rush grief, can you? Because Absolutely. it's one of the most special moments in life that we, we have the highs that we celebrate, but the human experience also encapsulates the lows. And it's an experience that can't be denied. You know, I... Um talk about this idea of um, how to create a meaningful life. Sometimes I try to get clients to like think about um, if you had to make a meaningful life for someone that you love, like you got to really prescribe it, what would be in it? And think about how you would make that for someone you love or yourself. And I question them, would you have grief in that? And some of them are like, well, no, I don't want anyone to feel sad. Well, how on earth can you feel love without having grief? You know, it is the the price that you pay for loving something so deeply. I fully believe that these ups and downs are parts of a really beautiful, meaningful life. That's so true. I didn't think that. I, I'd have a really fortunate life up until the last few years where I experienced no grief and it was all happiness and, and I knew I was quite lucky. I knew I couldn't escape it forever. But um. I remember asking, why? Why now? Why is this happening? I hated the universe. And I, I got some great um, advice from people. One of my friends said, well, this is experience all of life, the highs and the lows, and, and you'll learn from this and look back. And another friend said to me, she'd lost her mum, and she said, grief is just love with nowhere to go anymore. It's, it oh, shows that you love that. cared for something. Yeah, and it's just like this lost <laughs> love that there's nothing physically yeah. able to receive it anymore, but the love is still there and it's sort of like this emptiness echo of putting love out and you being alone. And it's so sad, but that helped me get through to go, okay, I'm hurting so much because I loved so much and I still love. It's not like love yes. goes away and... I guess that's the lesson that grief taught me is that it, I don't know, you don't have to stop loving. It's not like that that love is then gone and, and grief is over, that grief then becomes love transformed. Absolutely. And I love, I, yeah, I really love what you're saying. You know, a big, big part of um, grief and there's, there's like a lot of um, grief literature about this, about um, meaning-making and sense-making. Um, that, you know, makes me think a little bit about this idea of like love continuing, <laughs> you know, like meaning making can be like, um, you, let's, let's say you, your pet died of uh, eating something at the park, let's say. So what you're going to do is you're going to go out there and you're going to put posters up about um, 
don't eat this plant. This is very, you know, whatever. And that you're going to kind of advocate. And sense making is more of like, what did I learn? What is, what is this gift? You know, and we, I do a lot of that with clients as well. That's probably, you know, a good question to ask you about, you know, you were just kind of mentioning that, that love continued with the death of your pets. Can you think of things that they gifted you, lessons that you learned moving forward? Yeah, that's really lovely to think about because I remember when Meatloaf passed. He passed about three months Meat ago. Meatloaf. Yeah, Meatloaf and Maple, two French bulldogs, completely opposite. Oh, I'll tell you a little bit about them now. And yes, please, please. <laughs> well, Meatloaf, he passed about three months ago, he was eight years old. I got him shortly after winning Big Brother. He was the present that I bought myself, this French bulldog, white with black spots. He was so unique looking, had this bulgy eye that would poke out to the side whenever he'd get angry. <laughs> and he was such a rascal. He was just such a rat bag. But I am too. And I think yeah. I kind of liked it in him and I never sort of wanted him to change because I was like, I am like him. And I probably created him, but... There was a kinship there where we got each other and we excused each other's faults because we were mates. And and he was this loyal best friend that when when he left, I realised, oh, wow, I may never have another relationship that is as loyal as that in my life and that I'd lost a partner um, who'd rejected me. Um, I I felt that betrayal of, of grief of a relationship um, but that meatloaf I'd had before that, he continued through that relationship and he was still there at the end of it. It was almost like, mate, it's just us now. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I got a sense of loyalty and, and love and, and mateship, like a best friend yes. in meatloaf. I loved it. And Maple, she was, she passed away last year. Um, she was four years old. And it's so sad, both French Bulldogs. When Meatloaf went in and he got sick, the vet told me that the sad thing about French Bulldogs is the average lifespan is only four and a half years. It's terrible, what? yeah. Yep. Um, and they're in the UK regulating the breeding of them now and I feel terrible because I I love French Bulldogs. I fell for the craze and I, I got <laughs> two and spent their whole lives trying to keep them healthy because they both had such horrible health conditions and both both had to be euthanized um but maple yeah she was quite young and she was really sick at the start and vet said oh she's had brain damage and like they advised i give her back to the breeder and i said no she's she's my daughter like i will do anything i'll pay whatever i can to keep her alive and she was the most pure beautiful loving spirit like I used to call her my sunshine like I'd wake up I'm gonna cry I'd wake up and she'd just be looking at me and her tongue was hanging out permanently she was so dopey but all love and so tough like you could step on maple and she wouldn't even react like she was such a tough little girl meatloaf thought he was tough but gosh she was a sook and they were like brother and sister hate each other but my kids they were my babies and I don't think I really was prepared when Maple left. Well, I mean, I, I put her through a lot of surgeries to try and keep her alive and it was a process of a few months. And then it got to the point where 
the vet said she she may not make it out of this surgery and you might have to make the call. And like you said, I had to make that decision. That was the first time in my life that you had that responsibility of life in your hands, of something that you loved. And I remember trying to get in touch with my ex because Maple was kind of his, he used to call her his princess and for whatever reason he left and didn't want anything to do with them and mm. right at that moment I just needed somebody else to talk to and yes. he was the the other parent of this this baby that we had and he refused to make contact or receive messages or calls and didn't want I will never forgive him for that because <laughs> I mean he, he betrayed It's a hard me. thing to have to do on your own. Yes. And I yeah. mean the vets are so lovely and and they understand. I mean that's what they go through every day is is that decision that owners have to make, but I guess with Maple I did try and hold on and and she was such a fighter, but when meatloaf turned quite quickly within the week and the vets said the same thing, I said, "Oh, I'm not going to hold on and try and Yeah put him through all that this time there really isn't a way to prepare for that decision of euthanasia yeah I was talking to someone recently about how we're talking about um human euthanasia mm-hmm. and how it's understandable that you wouldn't want a pet to be in pain and that we can we can make that decision but the same thing for humans there's a sacredness of life that yeah um or, or that they should be able to make their own decision. But for pets, they can't make that decision. We have to make that decision for them. And it's almost like making a decision on your own for yourself. Okay, is it selfish to want to keep them alive? That's what I felt. Like I didn't want to let go. It's a huge part of it. it's more selfish, I guess, if they're in pain. Like it's, it's helping them relieve them of their pain and saying goodbye. Goodbye is so hard when the choice is in your hands. Absolutely. I was literally just speaking to someone just before this who had um, made the decision to put down a dog that was 16 years old (laughs) and she was very sure in her decision, extremely sure, but um, also (laughs) – ifs, what ifs, should I, could I have, all of these is, this is also, you know, when we talk about mandatory grieving, it seems like it's also a mandatory part of losing a pet, especially when when euthanasia is involved. I am yet to speak to a single person who has just made the decision to euthanize their pet, including myself, who has not had this ifs, what if, should I have, and this guilt around, did I wait too long? Did I do it too quickly? Yeah. It's such a complicated part of it as well. Yeah, and I guess we put so much trust in vets to help us understand what's going on and I had a lot of mistrust in vets, to be honest, and I guess it's hard because there's so much money involved in in the industry and, and it costs so much that you – you can't often make the decision to do the yeah. test or the yes. scan because you can't afford it, but then you feel guilt about that and I think are they just trying to sell me this scan to make money and it's just all those feelings I guess is natural of, of feeling so helpless and you just want someone to make the decision for you or, or give you the information you need. But It's funny. I think that it's like a 
it's a decision that's made the same way that, um, you know, when people are like, when are you going to get another dog or when are you going to get another pet? And I always tell people that you will just know when it's time, Just, just like you will consult you know, it's usually a mixture of reaching on supports and your own intuition as to when either to to make the decision of euthanasia or to um, get another dog. You know, these kind of big decisions that you ask support and you listen to your own intuition. I really hear you when you say it is so hard. So you've got this like person with the knowledge, this vet, and you want to just take everything they say, but then you've also got all of this doubt and guilt and all mm. this stuff in your mind that it's it is it's truly hard to just hand over that trust to them to be like okay mm. Mm. you know on one hand you want someone to make this decision for you but on the other hand you don't want anyone to make this decision for you yeah you know it's such a tough it's like really being stuck between a rock and a hard place it's unavoidable isn't it i think that was the yeah. other notion yes. i learned through death is that you can't escape it you can't avoid it and actually the the idea that we can is this false idea of control and will only cause suffering like I I guess I was going to talk to you about how much spirituality informs what you do and my process of spirituality that I'm I'm informed now with Buddhist philosophy that of interdependence that everything's connected we're all one but also impermanence that things change that that is inevitable and and our resistance to change will only cause suffering and so in that way death and loss become such a, a important part of life if not the most that things yes. will always change you'll <laughs> always lose things and to learn to let go in a way is something that another is that the final process of of grief I believe that spirituality has such a huge role to play in grief. I, um, with clients, I never try to ever prescribe anything onto anyone because everyone's yeah. got their own, um, their own journey and their own understanding and their own beliefs in all of that. Um, but I really believe so. You know, if we think even about those, you know, the stages of grief, that acceptance is the last one. And when mm-hmm. I hear acceptance, you know, I hear this like I take my hands off it. That I'm going to stop trying to control this. I'm going yeah. to, you know, and I talk about the term acceptance with a lot of clients. Acceptance doesn't have to mean that you are like, oh, everything's fine. Especially if someone died or or a pet died in a really awful way. You know, like let's say it was a drunk driver you know, Mm. that hit someone or something like that. Mm. You don't have to accept that that's okay. (laughs) Everything's fine. Mm. I'm happy with Mm. that. But it's a, I love what you you do, this, this relinquishing of control that that you're right. There is just all this stuff happening (laughs) around us in the universe that we have no control over. And, you know, when I spoke before about grief being this beautiful teacher and this catalyst for change, that, that's the piece that I love the most. This like, it is so humbling as to what your role in this universe is. And it's very mm. little. <laughs> it's little yet vast, in mm. my opinion. Because if you think about, you know, us all being connected and us all kind of sharing this one sense of energy and all this kind of stuff, that that's vast. That's 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 bigger than any of us could even imagine. But we play such a small role in the scheme of things. Mm. How did your spirituality kind of inform your mm. loss, your experiences of loss? Well, 
I grew up in a very Christian conservative household where I guess we were talking about pets. I was the only pet owner in my house. My family thought I was crazy and my parents <laughs> and, and the church, I guess the, the belief is that only humans have a soul and I'd always be so sad when a pet died because I was told, no, they, you're not going to see them again in heaven. I, d- I didn't want to believe that. When I was at uni driving, I remember once getting a text message from my mum saying, Lucy's dead, I've thrown her in the bin. Lucy was my guinea pig from my childhood, my first ever guinea pig. She must have been over 10 years old (laughs) and I remember having to pull over, bawling my eyes out, and I I called my mum and said, don't you ever tell me about something so Please don't throw her in the bin either. (laughs) I know that she ended up in the bin. This is Lucy who I had dressed for her wedding when she married. I'd I'd held all her babies over the last 10 years. But my parents just didn't have that same sacredness of pets. I guess they respect all life. Um, They Hmm. they loved them. But it wasn't a spiritual kind of connection. And I guess that's what's sad, isn't it, is that some people think humans are of higher consciousness and more value and 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 this idea that there is a heaven that we we go to but but pets just go to nothing i guess yeah. now that i'm informed with buddhist philosophy it's the idea that we are all connected and that reincarnation we could come back i i know i remember having an argument with my buddhist teacher once he said um about reincarnation that we're so lucky to be born as humans that it's the blessed consciousness um, in the hierarchy of life and that maybe someone like me would come back as a rat. And I said to him, <laughs> are you kidding? I could only dream of coming back as a rat or an ant or a tree. Like just <laughs> I love those life forms and I think, I don't know whether or not it's something that I was born with this this joy of companionship with nature and animals and plants, whatever it is. I just, mm. I don't know. For me it's the same level of loss and, 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 and respect for life, that that's what makes us all connected is that this life within us all. And when it goes, I mean, holding my grandmother's hand when she took her last breath, it was exactly the same as holding meatloaf a few months yes. ago when he took his last breath. It's just... One minute they're there, the next they're not. And I guess we're still here. We we have to make sense of this change in life. For me, spirituality, it's dealing with death. I think I'm not afraid of it. I don't know if I learned that early on from pet ownership. I think saying goodbye to pets from a very young age, you learnt that things aren't around forever. But, yeah, no, losing the dogs was a whole new level of, questioning why or how much it just was unfair and sucky that it all happened yeah at the same time and I don't know if I want to feel that pain again with another pet I'm not in a hurry to get another dog I don't know if I ever will it's so hard to move back into that space again when you when the pain is so fresh it's so hard Mm. you know would you recommend some kind of ritual of the goodbye. I mean, with humans, there's there's the funeral. We have all these traditions and rituals that we follow. But with a pet, I mean, if it's a goldfish, you flush it down the toilet. If it's a <laughs> guinea pig, you throw it in the bin. I, 
I, I live opposite a cemetery here in Newtown and I actually, this is a secret I'm giving out, I bury all <laughs> my pets in a cemetery and I have Stop. a little moment where I'll go over and no one's been buried there for like 50 to 100 years. So I don't oh think I'm like desecrating any graves, but yeah, I hope not. beautiful little areas in the cemetery where I've said goodbye to my pets. But the dogs, I didn't. I didn't want to have their body and mm. they were cremated. But I didn't know. Do you recommend some kind of funeral or saying words yes. or how do you remember? Fully. I believe that this is the key to um, to holding these connections with these beautiful souls that have been part of our lives in a way that is based in this reality. And I know that sounds really cryptic, but mm-hmm. what I, I, mm-hmm. I think, you know, it's, there's a lot of studies around about um, what kind of grief does to our brain. And I'm like in no way a neuroscientist, so I'm probably going to butcher this, but um, it's really important for us to forge brand new kind of neural connections around um, what this being means to us now in the terms of them not physically being near us and not physically being with us. I really believe that this ceremony and ritual is the key to that. And okay. um, I never like to prescribe anything to anyone. I think that it's definitely, I can give ideas and then they, you know, make it their own. But having a ritual, like a, a some kind of goodbye ceremony, it could be a funeral, it could be whatever. Um, writing a letter to your pet is something wow. that I get clients to do really, really often. Oh, that makes me like, I just imagined what I'd say to them. Absolutely, because it really allows you to communicate all of those like amazing gifts they gave you and all of the stuff that you're going to keep with you moving forward that, you know, to me is a lot of that sense making that we spoke about before. Um, It could be like having pictures up on the walls that you Mm. speak to, you know, a lot of people, you know, say that that's what crazy people do, but I really love to challenge that, that it's, it's actually what really well-adjusted people do. Wow, yeah. Because this is grieving properly. Not properly. I don't want to use that because that, that says that there's only one way to grieve and there isn't. But mm. grieving, it's moving through a grieving process. If it feels right for you to speak, you know, while you drive in your car to speak to Meatloaf, then do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if you want to tell him about the day that you had, I think that all of this stuff is really, really important. Um, getting the ashes back and, you know, putting them somewhere, lighting candles, mm. playing music, all this kind of stuff I think is apps is so important. Um, making photo books and things yeah. like that I think is also a really, really important – that can be really painful at the beginning, but as time goes on it can – it'd be a really lovely way to kind of preserve that story for people to come that you can share with as well. Cause Mm. it allows that, that being to stay alive. Mm. In my opinion. Okay. (laughs) You've inspired me. I have a picture of meatloaf that a fan painted when I won big brother the first time around in that first year of his life. And I've had it rolled up in a tube in the garage. Get it out. I've got to get it framed. It's it's huge. It's like a one meter by one meter, and it is so him. Like she's captured him beautifully. So I want to do that. And then maple. I was thinking of planting a maple tree in the cemetery. Yes. Yes. Okay. I love, I love this. this. That's idea. gorgeous. Because it all happened so quickly that I mean, maple passed away during my breakup, and I just 
don't know. Oh, it was yeah. A year of putting herself back together. And then when Meatloaf died, it was the day before Big Brother began. And I just have spent the last three months kind oh my of gosh. blissfully kind of yeah. keeping myself distant. But I, I kind of come home sometimes and go, where is he? That's right. He's passed. Absolutely. So maybe you're right. I need to have a symbol, a, a ceremony of some kind that's this ritual of, I loved how you put it, sort of making sense of in this realm that they're not there, how we make sense of that. That's right. But then it doesn't mean that they don't exist. (laughs) It's just Mm -hmm. that in this reality of next to me at this table, they're not here. But we have the ability to create whatever realm we want them to, (laughs) to exist in. That is maybe a picture on your wall that you talk to every day. Yeah. Oh, Fiona, it has been so lovely to chat to you. I feel like that got really deep about some bigger life (laughs) stuff, but I want to honour what you do for work. Like whether I think people that work with humans in that stage of dying are just saints and I've never met Mm. someone that does that with, with pets and you must have such a rewarding life, but what a, what a calling that you're living out and and thank you for helping people. I honestly, sometimes I can't believe it's what I get to do. It is just, it's, and I always thank everyone for allowing me into that space with them because it is just, it's such a, it's so lovely to kind of step into that world. Even though it's sad wow. and it's dark, yeah. it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful and full of mm. love. And, yeah, I absolutely love it. Oh, I love you. Okay, so <laughs> if people want to get in touch, maybe yep. they've experienced pet loss themselves or they know someone going through the process, how would someone book in with you? I'd say probably the best place to go is my website. That is just www.fionakernigcounseling.com. Um, and you can, as a little form, you can submit in there. Um, Excellent. But I'll probably, I'll, I'll send you all my links to all the social medias and all that kind of stuff as fantastic. well. Fantastic. <laughs> I'll share them when we share the episode. Thank you so much, Fiona. I think a lot of people Such would have really pleasure. connected with that, whether they've lost a pet in the past or they have a pet and it, one of their biggest fears is saying goodbye. So thank you for your time. It's such a pleasure. I absolutely love having a chat. This is The Big Mouth with Tim Dormer. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on an episode and leave a comment. Give me a star rating. It all helps get the Big Mouth out there. You can follow me on socials at Tim Dormer and join the Big Mouth conversation. Hashtag the Big Mouth. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? 
Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart, a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.